What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk and may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's got to be one of the all-time greatest guests we had on this thing, Fred Schneider of the B-52s of Shake Society, of, of the Superions, of the We Are Family Collective. He is a, a legend of a legend. And more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer. And judging by this week, guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And he will get the message to me. Tristan, I love you so much, buddy. You are the best brother for uh, for a lot of reasons, but you know this this is right up there. This is definitely right up there. Uh, he will get the message to me, and we can communicate that way. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you want to support this podcast, and why wouldn't you? Just tell all your friends. Let all your friends know that there's this podcast out there where, you know, they, they have the guy from the B-52s talking about uh, punk rock, you know, or, or you know, sometimes they have, uh, you know, a wrestler talking about punk rock, or sometimes it's a comedian, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's always just someone talking about punk. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk and support the show that way. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that does and uh, you can check out uh, the fun stuff that we do over there. You can also subscribe to this podcast and rate it over on iTunes. Thank you to everyone that gives it a five-star review. That is much appreciated as well. 
And uh, speaking of appreciation, I got to be, uh, I got to show my appreciation to Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do your show, uh, but just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the costs of this thing and keep the show going in that regard. And I can't thank them enough for doing that because it allows me to, uh, you know, keep, keep doing this thing, you know, between that and the Patreon, you know, we, we, we're covering our costs. We're not losing money on this thing. We're, we're able to keep doing this. We're, and we got, we got some big guests coming up. We've got some weird guests coming up. We got some interesting guests coming up, but today we have a fucking legend today on the show. Fred Schneider of the B 52s. I, I don't think there needs to be any introduction to the B 52s for most of the people listening. I would hope the B 52s are a legendary group, uh, misca- miscategorized, I believe, in a lot of ways as a new wave band. And because I think that is used to diminish their power, much in the same way with Devo, but they are a, a rock band. And once more, they are a punk rock band that changed the face of all popular music in their wake. Uh, Rock Lobster is obviously their first huge hit, but they had many after that, but definitely do deep dives into their albums and do deep dives into Fred's catalog because Fred has also, in addition to being part of this legendary group, had his own kind of solo career slash uh, appearances in other groups um, that are all worthy of listening to from his first solo record to just Fred, which we talk a lot about during this podcast, because that is, that is a gem. If you have not heard just Fred, stop what you're doing and listen to that thing. This is the, uh, the cosmic connection between the B 52s, the, the shadowy men on a shadowy planet and uh, Tar, they're all connected through this record. And Steve Albini, they're all there. You'll hear you'll hear about it on the show. Uh, but he has had this incredible career, and my gosh, was I stoked to get him on the show. This came about because after the Pylon episode with both uh, Michael and Vanessa talking so much about the influence of the B-52s, uh, Tristan was just like, we got to make this happen. And uh, lo and behold, here we are. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This is a short episode because we didn't have a lot of time with Fred, but believe me, we get, we get to the meat, uh, real quick. You know, we're, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna futz around on this one. <laughs> this is just, just hit after hit. Uh, so anyway, that is it. Sit back, relax and enjoy the legend Fred Schneider on turned out a punk. <laughs> Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey. Um, well, as I was just telling you off air, I'm a huge fan, as as I think most of the world is, but I got to start this podcast off the way they all start, which is, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Well, we were fans of like Velvet Underground and Iggy and the Stooges. So when the Ramones and Sex Pistols came along, uh like them too so i guess i've been a fan since uh i first heard sort of grungy punky music and you know growing up in new jersey you know you're pretty close to new york what kind of stuff were you into growing up in terms of rock and roll oh uh well i like the beatles and rolling stones but i was a motown nut mm-hmm. i liked i like soul music and still do still do i'm more of a soul 
and funk person. And where were you kind of hearing that stuff at that time? Was it on the radio, I guess? Oh, yeah. I had my six transistor glued to my ear. <laughs> um, were there like uh, record stores that you were buying 45s at, or was it mainly just like hearing stuff on the radio? Like, were you already obsessed at that point with music? Um, well, actually, <laughs> you could buy records at the A&P. <laughs> yeah. So I would buy 45s at the A&P and then uh, albums at... Uh, well, box, I don't know if they still have them. Two guys from Harris. <laughs> I mean, these box stores back in the day, you get a, the Menoral records were $2.99 and the stereo were $3.99. And since I was on limited budget, I would get the Menoral ones. <laughs> were there any local bands that you kind of saw back then? Or was it mainly just, you know, the bigger sort of national and international acts? No, it was just on TV. I, I was, uh, I was by that time I was one of six kids, so there was no way my mom was going to drive me anywhere to see anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so once you make it down to Athens, uh, and what made you choose Athens of all places to go for universities? Um, well, I was sort of naive. I thought I'd be I wanted to be a conservationist, and for some reason I chose something that had nothing to do with conservation, really, like uh, saving animals and uh, rare plants and things like that. Yeah. But um, and I want to get away from New Jersey. Um, I hated high school. So uh, and I got a scholarship. So that helped. <laughs> um, and boy, am I glad I did because I got down there and I really liked it. Yeah, it's funny. Vanessa, when she was on from Pylon, talked about the fact that there was this massive uh, infusion of money into the arts at the at the university. And Michael from Pylon talked about this, too, and how that really changed the complexion of that university, like all the new professors that came in and, and it just made that town. Into, it seems oh, like not when I was going there. No, it, was more, <laughs> it was it was more fraternity, sorority, craziness. Was was there any sort of music scene then? Not really. Uh, you had the folk club, uh, the uh, last resort that had, you know, really good folk acts come in. Uh, but other than that, uh, you would have bands play at the college. And the only other bands that would play in town were basically uh, uh beach music uh that was really popular probably still is with fraternity people um beach you know uh there's a whole genre of musical beach music <laughs> i didn't know about this till vanessa was on it was telling me it's like a north carolina kind of thing the shag dance well uh it's uh the coast of georgia north uh, the Carolinas, Georgia, North Florida and, and it's like the equivalent of like the i guess the surf stuff that was happening on the west coast yeah, but not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather listen to. I mean, I like a lot of the beach songs, but I'd rather yeah. listen to Dick Dale and uh, the Beach Boys and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like obviously. Well, not I guess obviously, but it seems like that's a, a sound that's kind of coming across on the B fifty twos music. Was that were those records like the Dick Dale stuff? Were those things you kind of were picking up on around that time too? Um, no, actually, Ricky had a Ventures guitar. Um, but that was all he could afford. And if a string broke, he played it without the string. And we just, they just came up with, uh, 
Keith and Ricky just came up with the music that whatever struck them, uh, you know, whatever influenced uh, influences they had, you know, for music. And then we jam and do the lyrics. It seems like, you know, like, and it's, it's something that comes up on this podcast time and time again with lots of different artists, how you are like really the first punk band in a lot of ways, because, you know, there's obviously stuff that's going on in New York and, and different places before, but at the same time, like just your approach and the innovation and kind of like the, the do it yourself and, you know, make it work. Like you're saying, when strings are broken approach to things is, is really the thing that's foundational to all punk bands. Well, we were punky in the beginning, definitely. And as we got more comfortable, we just, you know, we evolved, I guess, into more uh, dance new wave because we, we did want to be a dance band, even though we were, I guess, the, I mean, we danced to punk music and the Ramones. I think we were the only people who did. <laughs> um, <laughs> we danced to anything, just about. Um but we played parties and all our friends like to dance. I mean, Athens, our friends, we were like an alternative to what was going on in Athens at the time. And we had a really nice group of friends uh, that saw each other as much as possible. And we liked to dance. I mean, just, we would actually do laundry at a place that had a jukebox and a liquor store next. So <laughs> we do uh, laundry, dance and drink. So, it, so were there any bands prior to yourselves that you kind of view as being, you know, foundational to that scene, or is it really you're building something out of scratch? Well, in Athens, we just built it out of scratch. Um, there was another, the original, the first punk band were the fans in Atlanta, but um, we didn't really know about them that much, uh, and they were way more serious than we were. I mean, we were serious about what we wanted to do. Yeah. But we were all, we all had a sense of humor, tongue in cheek sense of humor, and we liked to dance. <laughs> you mentioned the fans and, and, you know, fantastic band. And, and once again, like a band that doesn't sound like the codified version of punk that kind of gets taken up, but like is definitely, you know, doing it DIY at the very beginning of things. Well, you had to because there were no, there were no, uh, punk or alternative bands at the time in Georgia, probably in the South that I can think of. Um, and like I said, we all had different influences and likes and dislikes, and we had a lot of shared uh, things in common. So it was easy to blend um, our ideas even though it would take miles and miles of uh, recording tape to get, you know, <laughs> a finished version. So what kind of stuff were you guys listening to or was the band, sorry, listening to at that time? Like what were the records that, you know, you were looking to? Oh boy. Um, well, I was a record nut. I actually worked at, um, there was a record store in Athens called Ort's Oldies. And Ort had, um, sugar um he would have uh, like sugar uh meltdown so i just say you know just go ahead or go out and do whatever and so i ran the record store and uh, back then you could get a uh like the first ronettes album for two bucks um and so i was listening to everything uh girl groups 
Motown, funk, uh, crazy stuff, uh, Sex Pistols, I mean, when they came out, Ramones when they came out, uh, Velvet Underground, James Brown I loved, uh, all kinds of stuff. Prez Prada, Mambo music. We, we liked everything. Did you, did you ever go to Atlanta for uh, shows? Uh, well, we went to the first, uh, I think we were in the first punk festival in Atlanta. Um, we saw the Sex Pistols when they were there. Oh, I was going to ask about that. That's a, such a legendary, defining show in like the history of music, I guess. So what are your memories of that show? Um, it was just chaos with police on the sides. They, there was a drag queen. For some reason, some the cameras thought a drag queen was symbolic of punk. So, you know, she got a ton of attention standing <laughs> up and posing and... I think people were throwing things. I, I forget if there was a net in front of the um, curtain or, I mean, in front of the stage or not. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that's also when people were spitting, um, which was a really great time to do music. Uh, <laughs> it was it was wild. Lo- I mean, love the Sex Pistols. You'd heard the hype prior to that, I imagine. Oh, yeah, but we... We were in our own world. I mean, you know, so we didn't believe we we were already sort of punky and we were uh, not swayed by a lot of things. So we just feared to be great to see because we liked it about the singles. <laughs> And going back to those early B-52 shows, like, um, once again, you know, Vanessa on the show talked about how they were like house parties. And that's such a defining feature of punk rock to, forever since, you know, as these these house party shows. Uh, where did the idea kind of come a, a, around doing shows at houses? Was it just out of the idea of playing parties? and Or was it like, no, this is a show. This is different. Well, our, our first show was at my friend's, uh, Julia and Grace house in Athens. Uh, I had moved back. The band had jammed on a song called Killer Bees. And you can date that when the song, when we did it, because Killer Bees were in all the newspapers, you know, going to take over America and all that stuff. Um, And so I was living in Atlanta and hated it. And so I had come back for uh, uh, Halloween in 76 and had such a good time being back in Athens. I said, Hey, you know, if we keep doing, you know, the band has a hobby, I'll move, I, you know, I'll move back. And I got my uh, job back uh, working at the uh, council on aging as the chauffeur. And um, so I have, I told my friends I was in a band. We didn't even have a name, but we were, sort of jamming and coming up with things as a hobby because everyone had jobs they didn't like. And uh, they said, sure. And I told uh, Kate, Cindy, Keith, and Ricky, and they said, sure. And so we had to come up with a name. And so we played uh, four or five songs to a tape and along with uh, Ricky playing guitar and Keith playing 
congas. Uh, we did the same five songs twice. <laughs> did you put it out that tape or did it ever come out? Or is it just for your personal use kind of? Um, well, no, the, the tape with the music, I don't know whatever happened. Keith probably has that on reel to reel. Cause we, we had a lot of stuff on actually most everything on reel to reel. Um, but that show, well, there's photos from that show. And one friend, instead of taking photos of us, decided to take photos of people dancing in the dining room. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, thought that was more more artistic. <laughs> oh, the only to go back in time, I imagine, and turn the camera the other way. Oh, I, I have tons of photos of us from the first gig. So, oh, that's awesome. How long before that is? Uh, how long before is that? Uh, before Rock Lobster is recorded. Oh, well, that's, that's, uh, Valentine's day, uh, 77. And we recorded rock lobster, I think May of 78. And then we signed with Warners in 79. It happens really quickly. Well, it's, I must've felt very differently on the inside, but it seems to happen very quickly. Well, yeah. If you're rehearsing in the bloodletting room of an unheated funeral home, <laughs> <laughs> in the winter <laughs> like case playing out the keyboards with mittens on um yeah you you, you really put your nose to the grind stuff um how long after you know you, you guys go up to new york right and play cbgb's i believe in max's kansas city well max's first we played max's uh december 1277 uh we played uh different friends parties uh and then went um took uh keith and ricky and they took uh took a tape up to new york and we got a gig on a december night in max's with two other bands on a monday which means nobody was going to be there except 17 people <laughs> including i think uh lots and ivy from the cramps they said they were there well that's awesome do you remember who the other bands you played with were i know it's a long time ago um, I think one was called Nylon. Mm -hmm. I, I have, I have, I have the original, uh, they would hand out, they sort of like bookmark sized, uh, who's playing Nylon and some, another band. Um, but we were so nervous because it was our first public show uh, in front of an audience paying audience. I think they paid $3 or something. Um, and, uh, the curtain wouldn't open, so I had to throw it open. And they, you know, everyone's standing around in their black leather smoking, except for our friends who are dancing. So. <laughs> yeah, what were your impressions of New York at that time? Because it's such a, you know, storied time in, in music history. Well, it's when New York was pretty dark. I mean, there was nothing yeah. below 34th Street. Uh, the lights were out, pretty much, except in certain little clusters. Uh, it was, New York was broke. And so how long after did you play CBGB's? That was, um, it's the next year. And we were the only band they would let play, uh, Max's and then CB's because it's like, it's too expensive for us to drive all the way back to Georgia with everything and then come back. So we played Max's one weekend and CB's the next after a while. 
And so you're playing the first time before the seven inch comes out, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So what's it like going back there and playing? Cause like rock lobster, was it like kind of an immediate underground hit? Actually, um, once we put the si- single out, it got played on alternative radio. It became a huge hit in Australia. Um, <laughs> cause they, they have really good taste. <laughs> Still this day, amazing music comes out of there. On- yes. Yeah. Um, it was even the commercial station in Athens wouldn't play it, but we didn't care because they just played crap anyway. Um, and we played, finally played the folk club, uh, the last resort. At first, they didn't want us until we filled it with beer buying customers, and it's like, oh, please come back. <laughs> um, you know, once you sell the beer, then they want you. Yeah, once you sell that liquor, you're there. Uh, what do you remember who you played with when you went back for CBGBs or what was your, kind of your impressions of, of New York when you went back there the second time? Oh, I forget who. I don't know if we opened for someone or someone opened for us. Um, it, it was, it, it, it stayed the dump. It was <laughs> from the first time we went there till the last time we played there. It, it it also feels like it's such a, it, you know, it's like one of these places that, you know, has been so hyped up in legend, but to actually have been there at the time, it would have been, like you're saying, a pretty dark place with, with a lot of sinister things kind of going on. It was a dump. I mean, you know, like the, the owner's wife who walked around dressed to the nines for some reason and with her dog shitting on the floor, um, you know, it's just like. What a dump. And of course, no uh, door on the bathroom. And that was the only bathroom. Uh, it was it was a dump. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Lux and Ivy from the Cramps. Like they're a band that I could see, you know, obviously sonically are doing very different things, but like I could see some sort of kinship there. Did you feel that with them or any other bands around that? Oh, I loved all the new wave bands um, or the new... Um, cause we, we got to see, uh, suicide, uh, actually David Bowie came to see us at, um, CB's, uh, I would come back and stay with friends in New York or stay in New York with friends and go to CB's and see all the different bands. Um, so it was great. The thing that gets brought up once again on here time and time again is that Saturday Night Live performance and just how that kind of turned on people, it seems like, all over, you know, the the broadcast reach of that show on a like kind of new music. What are your memories of playing SNL? Well, our, our record was going off the charts. Uh, and it, it sold, it, well, it sold decently but i wouldn't say great and uh we were paralyzed with fear because that was the first time we did tv and i mean we were so nervous and terry gar miss um the queen of uh light fm was the hostess and had no clue as to what we were about uh was was the hostess and uh, we did it, and apparently so many other bands saw us uh, like uh, 
Kurt Cobain and uh, all all different bands. Yeah, you know, when they were kids, saw us and were in because we were so weird and different. Uh, inspired kids to think you think I want to you know I want to do music I want to you know do something you know. You know, people come up on the show all the time, like so many artists and so many musicians have talked about that performance and just how important that is to them and how that opened their their eyes to to the possibilities of music. Well, I mean, what other band would like go down, down and then fall on the floor <laughs> and then get up again and play something that was totally not being played on the radio, except for, like I said, alternative and college i mean we owe a lot to college radio because that's where uh between alternative and college that's where you heard new music you didn't hear it on top 40 till later and then they said oh we always liked you and it's like well why don't you play us back in the day (laughs) another thing i always think about is how uh, your vocal style, how influential your vocal style is. Like I was listening to the fall the other day and I'm like, Oh, there's no way Marky Smith isn't influenced by you in some way, you know, like it's just, you know, your approach to, to music is just so different. I was wondering like, who were some of the people that you kind of look to as vocal heroes? Uh, nobody. Um, (laughs) I just basically recited, um, I, I really wasn't, I mean, when at sing-alongs, I never sang uh, <laughs> growing up. Plus, I thought they were corny because I was already a curmudgeon by the time I was like 10. Um, I don't know. I just sort of talk sang because um, I wrote poetry and for some reason, instead of singing the lyrics I wrote with the band, I basically recited them i mean i got more melodic i mean it wasn't like when i hear like a a impression or parody of me it's like oh god please i can do that i can do that too but 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 you know (laughs) no i think that's the thing is like what you did is show that anyone can sing and everyone can sing and everyone has a voice, you know, like, I think that's the, you know, uh, that's what I took away from it, you know, and I I sound nothing like you, but I'm, I very much relate to not singing along at sing-alongs. But, you know, we should be allowed to sing too. Well, at least you can understand all the, all the words I'm saying, which is a plus. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, a hundred percent. Like it cuts through. And I think that is, it's super influential on hardcore weirdly, which, you know, obviously sounds sonically nothing like B-52s, but your vocals and the idea of getting your message across over the music is, is definitely so key to that music. Well, yeah, it took the five of us to create something totally unique. Mm -hmm. Another record that I think is completely unique is your solo record from the late nineties. Um, I was just wondering how that the one you did with Steve Albini. I'm just I just wonder how that record. Oh yeah, I think that record's amazing. Like I think it's such a, I think some of the songs on it are incredible. And of course, friend of the show and a good friend of mine, Don Pyle from Shadowy Men's on that record as well. Like, oh yeah, yeah, love incredible them. band. Like how did that come together? It's such a unique record. Well, um, my um, ex partner who's still uh, best friends. Um, 
said I should get Steve Albini to produce it. And of course I like Steve's productions, but, um, you know, I didn't know if he would do it. And so, um, we somehow contacted him and I met with him in Chicago and played a rinky dink tape of cassette tape of what I had. And he seemed really bemused and liked what he heard and said, yes, he'd do it. And, um, he put me together with four different bands and I really, really enjoyed working with all of them. And he helped pick the, you know, which band would do what song. And, uh, the, the, what a lot of people like best on the album is uh, sugar in my hog. And that's with shadowy men. And when I went to Toronto to work with them, I had a cassette of BJ Snowden, a friend of mine who had a song called in Canada. Um, and she's sort of, I guess the queen of outsider music now. Um, even though she doesn't consider herself outsider, um, you got to check her out. Check out in Canada. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely bringing it down um, right now. She's been she's been on she's been on uh, Jimmy Kimmel and all these other shows. <laughs> uh, she's a hoot, and just uh, I mean I just love what she does. Um, so I brought that in Canada and played that, telling shadowy men, "This is what I'm going for," and they just looked at me like, "What?" <laughs> and but I, you know, naturally I was joking. And so we're, we're, we're working on one of the songs we're doing and we had the radio on in the middle of something. And all of a sudden the news comes on and this, uh, biker is there, there were biker wars in Montreal. Yeah. Huge ones. And, um, like they're, they were killing each other and all this other stupid shit. And one one of the bikers goes yeah i had to i had to take my chains to him he put sugar in my hog and so i told shadowman hey let's let's do a song called sugar in my hog and they it just came up with like this real up tempo biker music and i just came up with lyrics off the top of my head <laughs> and luckily we had it on tape and so that that became the hit one of the hits off the record quote hits. Well, that's the thing about that record is it's such a, like it, it's such a cool record. Like it sounds so different from the B 52s. Um, but it's just like, it, it's just such a driving album and it's, and you're working with three really different bands, but yet it still sounds somehow cohesive. That's your voice. Well, yeah, well, Steve, Steve, Steve brought that together mm -hmm. and, uh, what a great guy. And his uh, wife too. Um, just uh you know we became fast friends was that would that be something you ever want to do again like would you ever want to do another kind of heavy rock record like that well i could still do it i mean there's a uh video a youtube thing of me live and i'm singing sugar my hog and all this other stuff uh i was in a different frame of mind so like right now i'm pr <laughs> promoting my uh the re-release of my uh christmas album with superions which really doesn't mention Christmas hardly at all. 
<laughs> Those are the best kind of Christmas albums. Yeah, who wants to hear about sleigh bells and things like that? You know, you want somebody to slay somebody on Christmas. Um, Fred, this has been amazing. And if you ever want to come back and, and talk about punk rock and do a part two, you know, the door's always open. But before I let you go, can I ask you about one more band that's come up on the show quite a bit? Sure. Do you know, do you remember a band called The Restraints from Atlanta? No, they were probably after us. See, we, we left Atlanta. We left Atlanta in seventy. I mean, Athens in seventy nine. So we got to see Pylon and one or other, one or two other bands. But it was before REM came along and really took over. Uh, and I, I guess Vanessa told me this story. She saw us and says, "Boy, if you can do it, I bet we can." I said, "Yeah, you can." <laughs> And they did. <laughs> what about like, so were you aware of like kind of what you had kicked off there? Like how, I mean, how aware were you of like what had been kicked off there in your wake? Cause like you mentioned these few bands, but that begats one of the most fertile scenes to ever kind of come out of rock music. Well, we were fans of all the different bands, especially like, um, there's also a uh, love tractor. Uh, my other favorite band for men's, um, we were all friends and hung out and Pylon would open for us uh, and Love Tractor opened for us. Uh, it was, it, we were pretty modest too. I mean, that's the thing about Athens bands. They're pretty modest. It's like we don't walk around driving shiny cars and wearing $500 suits. <laughs> <laughs> We were we were the thrift store. We came to clean thrift stores to this day. <laughs> but it seems like out of any scene, like that scene is one of the scenes where like the music really changed the the complexion of that town. Oh yeah, oh totally. Um, it it, it gave the town a sound, or various sounds, because every band every band was really good and different. Still, new bands coming out and they're good. Yeah, no, so yeah, you're right to this day. Um, well, as I say, anytime you want to come back, Fred, please know the door is always open. Sure. Thank you, Fred, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Fred's going to be back. Oh my gosh. Fred's going to come back one day. He said it. He said it right there. Uh, when Fred did an impression of people doing a poor impression of him, that made my year. That right there made my year. All right. And next time I got to ask about Jello Biafra too, because I think, you know, Jello, I wonder if he's ever heard Jello Biafra. I think that would be a duet I want to hear. I, that's, that's, this is for part two. And part two with Jello too. Uh, when we get to a part two with Jello, I can talk to him about Fred Steiner. Okay. That is it for this week. And we are going to keep the hits coming next week with my friend coming back to the show, Fat. Tony, Fat Tony put out a incredible album, dare I say, my favorite record of last year, Exotica, an album which I've spent a lot of time just kind of escaping with, and uh, yeah, we talk a lot about it. We get we get into some uh, awesome conversations. Uh, yeah, that's it. So check out Fat Tony Part One as as advanced homework because it is a classic. It's one of the one of my favorite episodes of this podcast, and so Fat Tony returns for Part Two next week on the show and we got some uh tristan has been doing some wild booking 
lately, and we have some incredible episodes in the pipeline. Man, I'm going to be having to put up two a week because we just got so much stuff sitting around uh, waiting for you to hear. Um, and there's some, oh my gosh, there's some good stuff coming. Um, starting next week, starting next week, starting this week. What a week, what a week. Okay, that is that. Uh, remember as always, Black Lives Matter, the lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids. Uh, we need to help trans people pr- protect themselves. Um, go out there, get informed, uh, you know, read up. Um, you know, just sign petitions, donate money if you can to causes that are, are working around just giving people basic rights. You know, that's really what this comes down to is just treating people like human beings. And, uh, yeah, this is the time to get involved and this is the time to, to speak up and, and say things and yeah, you know, fuck fascism, smash Nazis. Uh, and yeah, that's it. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. Go out there and make your own culture because it helps. It'll help you feel better. It'll help you. uh, I don't know. It'll help. Um, and, and anyone can do it. Start a podcast, start a zine, start a band, start a record label, start a sticker company, start a t-shirt company. Just, just, you don't have to sell shit. Just, just, you know, just use something. Um, and you don't have to put it out there either. Just, you know, create something. It'll help. Trust me. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. Just say, you know what? Take these fucking organs from me. I don't need this shit. This is going to, you know, it's making work for someone else later on. So just take these organs and, and someone else can have a longer life because of it. Um, and uh, that's it. Uh, wear a mask. Stay safe. We'll get through this. Um, I love you. And uh, yeah, see you next episode. Bye.